Lester the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. Also made available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. All hit radio. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Would you turn your radio? Hello and welcome to Lester the Nightfly. This is your host, PJ Ewing. We start out part two of our conversation with opera singer Chris Oglesby with the song Cobwebs from Animal Collective. With your head. I got tired of listening to very, very quickly are worse songs that had basically four chords, predictable structures. Animal Collective is not that. They are so rhythmically complex and they have so many dovetailing melodies, ideas, and I've always been really into symphonic music and minimalism in particular. And uh, this was kind of that. And there are, there are points that, points in their early dis- discography that are not super pleasant to listen to. <laughs> but if you listen to them a while, you start to see how they're adding things, taking things away, and, and there's merit in that. But they have, let's see, Strawberry Jam, Meriwether Post Pavilion, Centipede Hurts. These are albums that I can listen to ad infinitum. There are also like Sung Tongs, Flood Memory, and a bunch of EPs. They do all do a bunch of single releases too. Uh, Fall Be Kind is another EP that's really good. This is the body of work that like really got me to love them. These guys don't so much tell a story with an album as their albums are collections of lexicons. Each album, I can tell what a song is from based on what instruments they're playing, what styles they're playing in, what type of uh, electronics are being used. My family hated me listening to Animal Collective growing up. My, my brother right under me in particular says it sounded like I pressed record as I left a recorder on top of the washing machine. 
And I thought that was really harsh. And now looking back, I'm like, you know, I, I understand that a little bit. Uh, but I got my sister into them a lot. And we, when I was an undergrad, we went to see them together at the Tabernacle in Atlanta. This is a band that is the, is the first band that was not acoustically based that I was really into. The only thing that is acoustic is their drum kit. But like they play electric guitars, bass, but then they have an entire soundboard of, of recorded, looped. Um, it's, it's basically as a DJ, but it's like so much more than a DJ. Uh, yeah, the members are uh, geologist, A.B. Tear, Panda Bear, Deacon, and they all have different roles to play and they kind of cross over. My sister and I went and see this concert. Of course, the, the floor is open, general admission, and we knew that things were going to get crazy down there. Drugs notwithstanding, I just didn't want to stand <laughs> for you know two plus hours. So we went up to the balcony and just sat. It was truly a transcendental experience. Uh, this was on their Centipede Hertz tour. And I wasn't super into the album. You know, it takes a while to get into an album of, you know, it's it's like getting a new brother or sister. Like you're excited, but it takes a while till you understand who they are and how they fit into your life. This was the thing that made me love the album was going to see it in concert. And they played so beautifully. They did things so organically and everything worked. I thought it was going to fall apart because how can you have all these electronics working? But like, Geologists just like kept things going the whole time. And so the, the thing that blew me away was the transitions between songs and their set, how he seamlessly lowered levels on one song, brought levels on the up and how they found these um, pass off points, these baton pass offs between songs that I thought were completely disparate. I was probably the only person that was like focused on that, you know, but it was so beautiful to me how seamless and how incredible musicians they were and I was expecting to just hear the songs I knew. But what I heard was the, the silence and the noise and the sound, the intention and the progression from song to song, which just like really at that time spoke to me volumes about how we transition from one idea to another. And there's so much space in between that we tend to disregard, but that's where life lives. Anyway, I submitted Cobwebs because I'd listened to this EP, didn't think anything of it. It has some really good tracks on it. Uh, it's just like four tracks, but I didn't think anything of it. Listen to it once or twice. They ended with cobwebs and that was the encore they came out with. Somebody had uh, messaged them and requested it. And everybody's down there with posters, right? For all the other huge songs that they still haven't played. Um, but they played this one and I was like, that is obscure. And it is one of those musical experiences that like is very formative because I was not expecting anything. But I was in a state, I was in a place to receive it because I'd already gotten to know them, had, had paid this um, admission price of time. So I felt this intimacy and vulnerability and Cobwebs starts off very introspective. It has this um, backbeat that almost feels like water dripping after a thunderstorm, like water coming out of a, of a, of a downspout. Sorry, I'm getting like way in the weeds in this, but uh, about three quarters of the way through, you know, whatever, uh, golden ratio of the way through, um, there's this like build, but the build doesn't increase in volume. It increases in tension. And you're like, I know something is coming, but I don't know what. And they let it ride for like one measure longer than you're anticipating because you've been, you know, in these like four four measure, you know, in, in these periodic phrases, but all of a sudden the period changes 
and the bass drops. And so when this happened, the, the, when you're listening to it on your speaker, like it is what it is, but they like opened up every speaker they had and they had the lights flare on at this moment. And it just like, I heard this song in a way that I've never heard it before. And anytime I listen to it now, I am immediately reliving this experience. And it's just, it was almost like um, when you're sitting and you're really into something and you're breathing shallow and you remember, oh, I need to take a big breath. And you just like, it's like coming out of the water, your first breath after almost drowning. And it just, it hurts your lungs because of how uh, physically blinding it is. That was this moment. It was, I was satiated by the entire concert. I thought I knew it was coming. And all of a sudden, like a revelation happened. The the song just went from lateral to horizontal or sorry not from horizontal to vertical all of a sudden and it just like it felt like opening my eyes it was so bright and uh it was yeah it was like it was like the musical version of a smelling salt and you can't quite get that from listening to the recording but this was a really powerful experience because it was the first time i really understood the importance of live performance a lot of times like going to concerts going to see a show like either you know it or you don't if you don't know it the whole time you're like trying to learn more about it it's it's a different experience if you know something and you go to see it you have a set of expectations that you don't realize you have either you're rigid in them and you want it to be what you've already experienced or you're like let's see what they do with it let's see what they highlight and knowing that they're going to highlight something that you're not expecting means that they're going to de-highlight they're going to make more subtle something that you thought was really important i think that as a musician going to live performances is absolutely essential because you're saying the same words you're saying the same text you're saying the same thing and you think you know how it goes but hearing someone else's idea of it just something as small as a different emphasis on a syllable like really suddenly you're in dialogue and you're in dialogue and you thought you were just an audience member, but suddenly you're participating in a way that you did not expect. If there's an intimacy there, which I think is the draw of live performance. And so after seeing Animal Collective, I was much more willing to pay a lot more money to see the bands that I loved, to hear the songs that I thought I knew because I realized that I didn't know them till I heard the band take risks with it in context. Hmm. So much there. I want to hear this cobwebs uh, again okay. right now. Okay. We're going to hear it again, and we're going to look for this moment of light, this sense, uh, smelling salt, jump out of the water, take a deep breath moment. Yeah, it comes right before you hear the word cobwebs. <laughs> right before you hear the word cobwebs. Let's take a listen again. Okay. This is cobwebs from the record Water Curses from Animal Collective. Turn your speaker up as loud as you're willing to take it. Connecting you. 
what was connecting you and me It's a sticky case, the more I move, the less I'm free Ever since I was a boy, I found new ways to view my porridge Sometimes electric, organic like the strawberry That was another listening to cobwebs. Uh, this is fun. I wish we had a live version. I wonder if there's something on YouTube to find. There are recordings of of live concerts on on YouTube. So yeah, okay. if you are into Animal Collective and you want to see how they go between songs, it, I mean, you can uh, you can spend some time on YouTube watching live performances of theirs. I'm afraid to say these words. Hey, Chris, tell me about minimalism and you. Because it's going to be 30 minutes and we don't have 30 minutes for Chris to talk about minimalism. Sure. However, I am very interested because that is another thing that I absolutely adore. And I'll just express two seconds. Uh, my minimalism is Akhenaten, which I just saw and, yeah. and I'm still thinking about. And Stereolab. Yeah, Stereolab. I do Stereolab. I find minimalism to be fascinating. And, yes. But I, I don't think we should go into it right now because I, unless you want to give me a high hard ones tell me about minimalism for you just just a short version for me my minimalism input uh was symphonic so like it was uh philip glass it was john adams so like uh you know steve reich at all oh yeah 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 yeah, like, yeah. see but like you know the the trilogy that philip glass had uh satyagraha and the other two and uh, oh Knotten's one uh, of the three yeah. Einstein on the beach. Pa, yeah, and uh, Pawakatsi. Uh, oh, and Koyaanisqatsi too. That's yeah, right, oh. that's right. That's right. There's a trilogy, and they did DVDs of them, and they're just collages. Have you seen those? I own them. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I saw what? that live. No, no, with the Philip Glass consort in really? Chicagoland. I saw him do it with the <sighs> screen playing it. Yeah, no, way back when. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, that was a feast. Um, mm. I have the DVD right here, but I just have Pawakatsi. But do you anyway, know Akhenaten? Do you know Akhenaten? No, I know. I know all the people that were in it, but no, I never got to see it. it it's the best thing he's done. Really? The best thing he's done. I, I did a show on this like two days later. I'm still vibrating now. And it's three months later. I saw the opening night at the Met. I have never seen or heard anything like this in my entire life. I'll, I'll share you that episode. Uh, it was on Lester the Nightfly and it that is the richest thing I think next to the ring cycle I've ever seen on opera is Akhenaten. That's that that's high praise. Okay. I, I can't say enough. It, it, it struck a chord. Like I've never had in my life. We, we all, we all were just dumbfounded. Truly. I don't have the words for what we felt walking out of that opera house. It was stunning. Wow. It was stunning. Oh, I love that.
yeah so then the other thing is just uh like john adams is like minimalism but other things too and so things like short ride in a fast machine which were like digestible small i could listen to it with my friends
what's going on with your career? What are you singing? Give us an update. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm covering uh, Caesar in Antony and Cleopatra, and I'm covering Eros. And though this has been the month from hell, learning this music, it is it is so hard. It's hard, <laughs> but I'm really excited to see it come together and see what it feels like, um, you know, in house. And then I'm also going to be uh, in dialogue of the Carmelites um, after that. So I'm, I'm covering the chaplain, the Monnier, and then doing first commissioner. So, um, of course, Boulenc, that's a brilliant opera and it's uh, gut wrenching. And even when you know what's coming at the end, every time, every time uh, it. Did you, are you familiar with this opera, Dialogue of Carmelites? So I am sheepishly going to admit I've never seen. I know the end. I want to know. I am obsessed. With, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. You know how it ends. Yeah. The, the, the nuns are being beheaded. And I. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, everybody. That's right. the end. <laughs> well, and so, so the, the, gimmick, the gimmick, the gimmick is that as it's going, the voices drop out as the heads drop. And like. Like, you know that's coming. You know it's coming. But what you don't realize is how the ending starts as a march and it doesn't stop. There is so much forward momentum and you feel like you just can't collect yourself ever. You're being, and other things are happening in this final scene and you are never given time to grieve. And at the very end, like you just, you're left with all these emotions that you haven't processed and then it's over. And it is one of the most, um, powerfully uncomfortable feelings I think you can have in live theater. why you're in opera that's why i love opera and that's why yeah. we're talking today is there are things like that that are otherworldly that are something out of the apple tv severance like we oh, have yeah. these experiences in modern day this is pulank this was written how many hundred i mean how long yeah. ago was this yeah over over 100 years ago genius thinking that happened way long ago with concepts that are fresh as any dystopian thing that we're seeing in, in today's television. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. we were slated to do Handmaid's Tale, uh, wow. you, to do it in English, it, to give it its American premiere during the pandemic, and then it got pushed. But like this, I mean, it is, history repeats itself. I mean, so like we understand 
people being oppressed, especially women, especially people that believe in something. Um, and so I think this is going to be, I think the context nationally is going to make this a little harder hitting than it yeah. would be otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to move on, Chris. We've got more music. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, the, the, the sad and wonderful truth about this is that we could probably sit here for three hours and just oh, yeah. go. This is so much fun. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, thank you for the time. We're going to go to Fleet Foxes. Oh, yes. Uh, this is exciting. The song is called Helplessness Blues, title track. Yes. And it's from 2011. Let's take a listen, then we'll hear Chris talk about it. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique Like a snowflake Distinct among snowflakes Unique in each way you can see And now after some thinking I'd say I'd rather be A functioning cog in some great machinery Serving something beyond me But I don't Tables and some 
This is PJ Ewing. I'm with Chris Oglesby. We're listening to Lester the Nightfly. You are listening to Lester the Nightfly on some great radio station somewhere in the United States. Maybe it's online and maybe you're overseas. Who knows? We have an opera singer. We have his musical sensibility. We're getting into his brain. So tell us about Fleet Foxes, this song. I don't know anything about it. Their first, their self-titled album came out in 2007. So I have this like very initial memory of Fleet Foxes for what it is. And it's, it is open-eyed, wide-eyed optimism. I'm, I'm in college. I'm learning all these things. Everything seems possible. I listen to it in the fall. We're driving through the bees, beautiful mountains, listening to this like bluegrass folk-esque music. I didn't listen to the words at all. I have to be honest. I only listened to instrumentation and musicality for a long time. Being from the South, my wife and I are both from Georgia and Tennessee. We're really into uh, bluegrass, folk music, um, country-esque, like very much uh, Appalachian music. And this this is like a modern version. And so that's kind of where they were. But over the pandemic, we started listening to them a lot. I started listening to the words. And Helplessness Blues, the title track, I think is, in the, uh, this was the rare case, it's also the heart of the track for me. All the guys in the band are just a few years older than us. And we were raised, you know, in the late 80s, 90s, early aughts with not just American exceptionalism, but individual exceptionalism. You know, everybody gets a trophy. You can do anything. You can be anything you want. Everything is 100% all the time. Do everything. And this is a song that absolutely flies in the face of that. It's, I'm so tired of being everything. I just want to be a functioning cog in some great machinery doing something beyond me. And this is that, that cry for like, I just want to be useful. And I want to be fulfilled and I don't need to be revelatory. I just want to be happy. And wow, when the album came out, I wasn't who I was at the time that I needed to hear it. But 10 years later, it is deeply haunting how accurate every song on this album is. And listening now to the first album with that lens, it's, it's, it's so interesting how it is like a, a glimpse of of memory of uh nostalgia and then helps us blues is also nostalgia but it hits and then this newest album sure paired with lonely solstice it is you just leave with more questions than answers uh, my wife and i just saw them live at the greek amphitheater in berkeley and they had a trio called the westerlies with them two trombones and a, and a trumpet and they also they invited a guy tim bernardis who's a uh, sao paulo uh, uh jazz guitarist and, and vocalist very much in the style of Jacques Gilberto. Incredible, incredible musician. But he brought him out and uh, Robin, the lead singer of Fleet Foxes, came out and introduced him. And one thing that was so immediately striking to, to me and Rachel is um, this is this is a group that a couple of people had, had split from earlier on and they're doing their own thing. But the constant is, um, is a lead singer, Robin, who's also written a lot of the songs. His immediate sincerity aggressive sincerity and vulnerability was was such a breath of fresh air i mean he came out and introduced this guy who is normally you have people that come on and open for you that are clearly less good than you but this guy tim bernardis is incredible an incredible musician and not only did robin come out introduce him everybody in the audience got a new favorite artist to listen to like everybody went home i mean we did too we went home and and favorited his stuff on spotify and then at the very very end of the concert he invited tim back on and tim and tim sang with him 
with some stuff. And like, that's the camaraderie that uh, I really value in an ensemble with opera. And so seeing that in this kind of music space was, was beautiful. Watching Fleet Foxes, I got to really see everybody singing and I got to understand the complexity of the harmonies and the, the brass players, which also I have a degree in brass. I play euphonium. So seeing trombone and trumpet, I, I played them and, and the difficulty of what everybody was doing in unison to produce something that sounded simple is, is very much like opera. Every single thing is so hard to do, but when you get people who can do it, it comes across as this like beautiful, easy to listen to product that is just not easily produced. And um, I have been thinking a lot about Fleet Foxes since then because you kind of, just like Animal Collective, you get to see into what they do and you appreciate it so much more. So once again, live theater, live performances, it it's really where art is made. That's where your heart is. It really is. You, you, you are... Uh, more than a lot of people that I've I've heard speak, you're you come alive in a live setting, whether you're performing, which we talked about with competitions at the very beginning of this conversation, or in attending. You'd much rather, obviously, see them live and see the imperfections and the interpretations that differ from the recorded matter that we're all used to hearing. You yeah. want to hear that their new interpretations or revisits. You're all about live, man. I think in the world we live in today, we listen to things that are perfect. And so anything that's not perfect is an imperfection. But really anything that's an imperfection is communication. Like how they're feeling that day, how they want to do something. If something doesn't work out, how they cope with it not working out. Like that is magic. big jazz person i just saw some jazz the other night yes and, and that's it's all about that dialogue that's extremely imperfect and everyone gets lost every once in a while and who knows no one knows what's going on and it comes together in a magical way oftentimes and you know it's 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 an experiment yeah i heard somebody talk about jazz as like being amazed you intentionally get lost in and then you use your skills to find your way out and ah, I'm like, that's, that, great. That, that's it that's great I have a good friend who's a, a, a hundred records to his name. He's played with all the jazz greats. Oh, wow. Just saw him the other night. Dave Kikoski is his name. And I go to this little club called uh, um, Zinc Bar. Okay. Little spot down from the Blue Note. Not a big deal. And, uh, but it's, it's lovely. They've re remodeled. And I went in. I'm like, Dave, we, you know, he asked us to come. It's a big night for him. And we showed up. Big hug. Hey, PJ. Dad. I'm like, huh, Wow. Oh, this is kind of cool. That. Love that. <laughs> it was a nice moment. It was really cute. It seems like a lot of the music that you've you've been bringing to us is um, obviously you had to winnow through a lot of stuff and sift through a lot of stuff. But they each have real 
um, meaning. They're momentous in some ways. There's a lot of, uh, like the Fleet Foxes, it's sort of a, a lifestyle, an affirmation or an education about how to le lead one's life. Um, I think the pandemic changed me. I know it did. Yeah. I think it changed billions potentially of people yeah. in terms of how they want to lead their lives my approach to life is very different now than it was two years ago 100 i am not chasing riches yeah. and i think i have been all this while oh. you know when i finally make the xyz dollars that it's going to be i realized that it is not about that it is about happiness it is about personal satisfaction contributing doing some good raising good children it's about life. Life is happening now, not when you finally get that big bonus or you achieve that big salary or that big job. No, that may be the result of this good work, but life is happening right now, right in front of us, and that's that's where we got to put our attention. In that's my so true, PJ. Yeah, it, it's the life, it's the beauty, it's the magic, and the transition between these nameable goalposts. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Nameable goal goalposts. I love that. Yeah. The gods of opera do not like it when you go farther afield. They want you to get really good at this thing, and um, they're <laughs> less receptive to someone that, oh yeah, by the way, last week I was in a jazz club singing jazz, and this week I'm playing my euphonium. And uh, uh, do you get an outlet beyond opera that you can use your beautiful gift, um, or are you really? When I sing, I sing opera, and I, you know, that's it. Well, tell me, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm glad you asked about this. Um, I have stumbled into opera and I continue to stumble into opera walking through the doors that are open to me, but it was never something I sought, sought out to do. My first degrees are in education. I wanted to be a high school teacher there in band and chorus. And then right at the end, I was like, well, I'll do performance too. It's a couple extra credits and then really loved it. So went to grad school for it and was like, you know, I'll, if this doesn't pan out, I'll do something else. I still say if this doesn't pan out, I'll do something else because A, it's true and B, it keeps me sane. But growing up, my dad was in a classic rock band. My mom sang in choirs and played clarinet. And so everybody in my family was required to learn an instrument, at least one. We used to just jam together. And so my first non-choral, non-classical singing, like, you know, singing in the home was just literally screaming classic rock songs. And then now I have the technique to do it healthily. But like, that's always something that I've not been willing to lose. And so singing along with different artists, using my vocalism in ways that are organic and are simple and are human, I think opera is one way you can sing. I think it's the Olympian way you can sing. But you know what? You don't have to be an Olympic swimmer to enjoy going to the beach. And so we all have bodies that can sing, that can swim. And being able to do it through different mediums, I think, is really refreshing. So, I mean, I have... I have a guitar and a banjo. We have, uh, my wife plays mandolin. We, we jam all the time. Uh, and it's a way to remind ourselves that music is not just a job that we really love it for itself. Okay. Okay. Fine. I got it. Th but wait a minute, Chris, that's great for you and your awesome wife who sounds amazing by the way. And you <laughs> guys is. are so well suited. It just sounds like, what about per public performance? What about, I, what does your voice lend itself to? Is it a rock and roll voice when you're not singing in an operatic fashion? Is it a jazz voice? Is there an opportunity? Is there an outlet for you to use this voice in another place that you're where it's a, a career thing? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I just did. Um, so I, I did a, a recital with another Adler fellow 
this year in, in Bonitas. And we did uh, some, we did a lot of like uh, musical theater and like crossover stuff together at a bar. Uh, and then also I sang at the SF jazz festival with another Adler fellow. We played banjo guitar and we sang minor songs from the 1820s. Uh, and we sang it in dialect, in rough voice, um, because that's what it calls for. opera means that I have complete control of my voice. I do have a jazz voice. I do have a folk voice. I do have a classic rock voice. And I know exactly how to tweak it to make it sound like those things because I'm in control of my instrument. Like this is my art. There are painters who are famous for a certain style of painting, but if you ask them to mimic another style, of course they can do it because they are masters of their crafts. And I think that that's uh, the same thing for the voice. You have this, what I don't have, you have this beautiful voice. You have a chance to express it in different ways. And you found those voices, it sounds like, the jazz voice, the rock and roll voice, et cetera. You know, I would want to use it. I don't like, Chris, when opera singers sing all kinds of stuff that their voice is not suited for. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't want to hear them sing Italian songs and I don't want to, you know, or, or even Christmas songs or whatever. You think that Pavarotti <laughs> singing Christmas songs would be amazing. It's not amazing no. to, to my ears. No. I, I, <laughs> so I, but, but you have other voices. Yes. You, you, you're not singing opera to the, the Moody Blues. You're singing a Moody Blues 
version of your voice or, yeah. or Rolling Stones version, which I don't know what that sounds like. Um, but it would be fun to hear. And, and you're obviously so learned and obsessed and, and, and an expert in the world of music to, to great levels that, you know, there, it seems like there's, um, there's, there are avenues for you that you'd, you'd navigate some, at some point. And just thinking about this, I actually, I just had a CD come out. <laughs> I'm on a what? CD. Yeah. Really? Thanks a lot for, for telling me now. <laughs> well, I forgot to start asking about this because it's not, it's not opera. There's a local okay. composer, uh, George Tingley, who his claim to fame, uh, he wrote the, um, the dance music for uh, Chrissy Yamaguchi for figure skating. But he also has written tons of piano music and really is an incredible pianist. And he, he has great scaffolding in what he writes. So a lot of beginning piano students use his music. Well, he just came up with a CD. It's a collection of different compositions from past couple years it's called time's memory it, it literally just released last month and i'm on i think like five of the tracks two of them are an ensemble but then i do um a, a, a neapolitan song that is that has never been recorded called povera canzona these three things that i recorded for him are in my jazz plus voice and so i would sing them in this way for like a church music special you know something that's not full-on serious classical but it's like still supported singing but there are moments that i'm being very very tender which i have the advantage of doing it because it's for a cd it's on it's on a microphone i don't have to project over a thousand plus people Yeah, the CD is called Time's Memory. It's by George Tingley. Uh, he's the composer. And the Give us two tracks we're going to hear. Two, the two that best represent these other voices of yours. So let's see. Off this album, you can listen to Povera Canzona, which okay. is a Neapolitan song um, with text. Oh, gosh. It has it has ties to uh, Francis Ford Coppola's family. The story might be in the, in the CD jacket. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the other one is... Um, to everything there is a season and it's uh it's a text it's from ecclesiastes you know a, a time for war a time for peace a time for crying a time for this love it i think he does a really good job of taking these huge huge feelings you know that are given one after another in the text and he does different things musically with them love it we're gonna hear some different voices from chris oglesby right here on lester the nightfly Canzona mia e quando felice, quando te sento mera trista o core, nella stama Speranza da salva, povera canzona, e la passione antica abbandonata, povera guagliona, Stai malato, 
time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be you're listening to Lester the Nightfly. I can't tell you how much fun this is to just sit and talk about music. I hope you're enjoying this. We're going to go on though, uh, a real departure. This is the Beastie Boys. The song is called Intergalactic. Hello, yes. Nasty yes. is the record. No, oh. no, no, not one word. We're going to listen to it and then you're going to talk about it. Okay. Well, now, don't you tell me to smile You stick around, I'll make you 
Yes, the Beastie Boys. It, it's a, a remaster, but the original the original song was 1997 or 1998. Yeah, I believe. Chris, what what Beastie Boys? <laughs> rap was not allowed in my home growing up, so I had to listen to it on the DL. Beastie Boys was the first rap album I ever bought. Licensed to ill, bought it from a CD store. My best friend in fifth grade, he and his dad, they took me under the cover of night, basically, and they're like, "Buy what you want," and I was like, "I'm getting, I'm getting this." Hello Nasty. I think it's where Beastie Boys really hit their stride. They started out as a as a punk band and it didn't pan out for them. Intergalactic though is one of the funniest music videos that you can see. I highly recommend going to see it. This is the album where like kind of like Telecreator like full on rap kind of meets like other like jazz and other world music, but lyrically Beastie Boys is is so funny to me because they have things that hit really hard and then they also have things that are completely stupid and they know they're stupid and they lean into it. They lean into stupid and it becomes super charming when they do. They do. They become super charming. Mm -hmm. You nailed it. (laughs) I literally think about one line from this. I like my sugar with coffee and cream. Yeah, Uh, totally. That's the line I'm thinking of. That's so funny you say that. They do really, they do really good wordplay. You don't have to be in a serious mood to listen to this album to be like, oh, I thought Beastie Boys would just fight for your right to party. They're just not. Right. The depth of the Beastie Boys. So, so much fun. Exactly. And that's going to do it for our part two of Three Parts with Chris Oglesby. Next week, we've got some more fabulous music, the great brain of Chris Oglesby to tell us why he's chosen what he's chosen. It'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see you. Same place, same time, next week on Lester the Nightfly. This has been a PJ DJ production. Thank you.